and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. I'm Danielle. Hey, everybody, it's an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics, and every week we interact with our amazing listeners. Here's Danielle to tell you all about it. Hell no, Drew Campbell's going to tell you all about it. Well, first, uh, we read some comics, and we tell you what we're going to read, and then we talk about it, and then you listen to us talking about it. And then you write something down about what we talk about and send that to John at, uh, at the Hey You Damn Guys, I believe it's called. <laughs> uh, or you can put a comment on Facebook, Instagram, anywhere. Uh, and then we talk about what you talked about. That's called the next episode of the podcast. <laughs> and uh, back to you, Danielle. Ah, oh, that was good. Great you job. did a great job. Great I'm going to make you do that every single time. That's a book club. That's friendship. Drew Campbell. Hey, Drew Campbell. Hey, thanks, Drew. Yeah, book club member. Yeah, that's another clip from our debriefing episode. Go back and check out that episode for all the friendship and the feels. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, Drew. The Kickstarter was totally awesome. They raised like over half a million dollars to make the documentary. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was really cool. I'm really excited for that project. You know, uh, I would love to ask Hannah and Demonakos to come back, you know, maybe in a couple months and check in with yeah. them and see how all of yeah. that is going and maybe talk about some Hellboy stories. I really liked Aubrey's idea of having the listeners vote on their favorite short stories oh, okay. and maybe like covering some of those. So, yeah, maybe we can do that in the near future. Congratulations oh, to all those guys and the Kickstarter team. I have some shouts outs for this week. Shouts outs. Shouts out. Yeah, I want to thank Sean Metcalf. Hey, Sean Metcalf. Book club member. That's right. Yeah, he tagged us. He went to go pick up his young Hellboy comics at the comic book store. He said, time to stop browsing and looking at Hellboy books online and actually read one, lol. Hey, you damn guys. Yeah, so uh, that was awesome. Thank you so much, Sean. Awesome. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Oh, shit. It's listener feedback time. Aubrey has listener feedback. Yeah, that's it. Excellent. <laughs> you read a story. We talk about it. You hate them guys us. And it's a book club. Get out. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Matt Strackbine. Whoa, Matt Strackbine. Book club member. That's right. The Longmont Kid himself <laughs> Master Agamon says let's see hey damn guys I just finished listening to your latest and possibly last Witchfinder episode meow meow <laughs> that was easily my favorite arc after In the Service of Angels to me it's like those two arcs were intentional bookends for the whole series think about a writer coming up with the beginning and end before the middle parts this felt like that to me and maybe why I liked it so much especially considering that we already know pretty much everything that happens next to Grey. This may very well be the last arc, but who really knows with Mignola at all. Also, I'd be glad to bang out a two-page Penny Dreadful, but I've embarked on a new self-publishing venture, and I'm fully immersed already. Hey, that's wow. exciting. Oh, that's good. awesome. Yeah. More to come on that soon, but for now, I can tell you it involves a certain book club member with the initials RR. Oh, shit. Whoa. Oh, Is that wow. a scoop right there? I wow. think that's a scoop. Matt Strachbein uh, and Ross Radke are possibly working on something together. Oh, that man. is That is nice. crazy. I'm really excited that, about that. I'm sincerely excited about that. That is exciting. <laughs> that's great. That's excellent. Kill the Black Flame. Oh, wait. He's already dead. 
Keep, keep that motherfucker dead. Yes. Yeah. No, we're excited to hear that. That's really that's cool. That's yeah, good news. This is this is going to be great. Can't wait to see what that's going to be. Yeah. yeah, that is exciting. I also yes. cannot wait to see that. Absolutely, that makes me very happy to hear this. Yeah, and I like the idea of In the Service of Angels and the Reign of Darkness being bookends with each other, you know. Um, it starts off with Ed Gray, like, being totally in service to the crown. Right, yeah. And then the good. it ends with him, like, leaving all that behind and almost, like, being ashamed of it where he never wants to talk about it again. So, I wonder if anyone yeah. has had a more extreme character arc than Ed Gray. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really, like, it's a lot. Yeah. Also, great to hear from Matt. Yes. Awesome. Absolutely. Always Glad to yeah. hear that you're working on something new. Yes. We had some feedback from way back. I don't know if you remember... We did this uh, Strobel story. It had art by a... God, I forgot that Spanish artist named Caruso, who did all these paintings that were like really graphically oh, yeah, messed up. Oh, yeah, I remember up. that one. And in that one, they summon Orobos. He's like the horse face oh, yeah. demon. Yeah. And there's a huge like page yeah. uh, painting of that. Sir Nadakarosuto said... Sir Nadakarosuto... Book club member. Book club member. He said, Orobos is one of those demons that isn't that bad, to be honest. From my understanding in his section of the Ars Goetica, or the Ars Gosha, did we ever decide what that was? Pronunciation corner? He just answers your questions truthfully, is faithful to the conjurer, and won't allow spirits to deceive you. That doesn't okay. sound that bad. He sounds like a pretty stand-up guy. <laughs> that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we got a Hey You Damn Guys from uh, Clayton Schofield. Clayton Schofield. Book club member. Clayton said, I really enjoyed these last few episodes. I have to echo uh, Tom Burnett's comments about uh, returning to these stories. While I find the most recent arcs of Witchfinder the weakest of the bunch, it is incredibly fun to listen to you dive in for the first time. It certainly made me appreciate these stories more. I have especially become more of a Madsen fan now. Also, I'm sure you've seen this, but look at this beautiful cover for the next Witchfinder Omnibus. Holy Stenbeck. Yeah. yeah. And he attached the cover for the uh, Witchfinder Omnibus, too. And it's okay. it's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Mark let us know that it will be out on November 17th. Man, that is so exciting. Witchfinder that... Volume 2 Omnibus. I'm ready for okay, it. Okay, okay. That's like a week after my birthday. Hint, oh, hint. Okay. hey. <laughs> Excellent. Hint, hints, right? That's awesome. Okay. Good job yeah. there. Um, I do like that a book club member is commenting on another book club member's yeah. comments. I always that's like that. That's great. Like, yes. Oh, well, yeah. That's, you know, that's it's, conversation. It's happening. It's a book club. Uh, we also got a, a uh, Hey You Damn Guys from Christopher Egan. Oh, Christopher Egan. Book club member. Uh, yeah. Christopher Egan said, I was going to come talk about how this arc of Witchfinder was my favorite, and your discussion of all Witchfinder stories has made me appreciate them even more. But I have to bring up that a teacher I had in high school would call students chuckleheads if they were being goofy in class or whatever. She was an English lit teacher, but she ties back to Hellboy in my life because she had the idea of starting a film class, which I took. For Spring Break 04, we had to review one movie, read one uh, review to the class, and start a discussion. I, of course, went to see Hellboy, and the rest is history. Nice. But anytime the word chucklehead nice. appears anywhere, Mrs. Nasso's class is all I think about. Oh, that's cute. I had to point it out to my wife while reading this because she, too, went to the same high school. Oh, wow. <laughs> Excellent. That's pretty awesome. I think that's a good, that's a good little 
word to call a kid. It's not a mean oh, or yeah, anything, you know. Yeah. Hey, hey, chucklehead, get your foot out of the trash can or whatever. You know what I mean? Hey, goofball, get out of right. there. Get out of the garbage can. We're tra- starting class here. Don't well, get in there. And like we talked about, the term has been so lasting. She was probably called yeah, chucklehead, yeah. or people around her were called chucklehead. But it's not she, a. Yeah, yeah. It's not a necessarily a super mean thing to say. It's just kind of like a, hey, nerd. We're getting ready to go. Are you ready? Are you, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where I can see that being a very, uh, right. it's just a playful kind yeah. of little yeah. thing to say to a kid that's not too terrible yeah. to say, right? <laughs> like, you know, you, yeah. you're kidding around with a kid and you're calling him little nicknames and stuff and whatever. Chucklehead is yeah. pretty good. Speaking of a Hellboy movie, I, I think I saw it on Twitter yesterday. Um, Mike Mignolo posted that the movie was released 17 years ago yesterday. Oh, wow. Was that yesterday? Oh, wow. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Hey, you know, with um, all of us, you know, getting our vaccines and stuff like that, maybe we might be able to do, you know, commentary on that soon. I've been kind of waiting for that. I've been kind of waiting for us to be able to get together with Aubrey again to be able to do something like that. Apparently all the, you know, whatever CDC and whoever is saying that it's safe for people who have been completely vaccinated to hang out and congregate or whatever. Right, so right. So, that's, um, so yeah, in about five weeks, I'll be able to see you guys hey, again. Okay, Hey, cool. so that'll <laughs> be right about the time we're wrapping up this story that we're going to start today. So, hey, you know, All maybe right, we, awesome. we can line up close to, you know, the 17th anniversary of the movie. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Plus, it'll be exciting to be able to record and see you guys again because <laughs> yeah. we've, been doing, we've been doing this for like a year while I've been sitting at home. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We also heard from Mark Tweedell. Hey, Mark Tweedell. Book club member. Book club member. He said... All uh, your favorites are back. I know. He said, uh, you guys talk about Venture Brothers. I like Tintin. Um, 1934, he posted a link of Tintin where they hit the henchman and they take his costume and put it on. Um, But I think with Venture Brothers, we were specifically discussing the jokes about having a mask on and like sneezing inside of it and stuff like that. But that was great. I love that those like kind of those crime tropes. I don't know what you would call that. They, well, they're, it's like they're a sli- so it's like slice of life, but like if you were a wacky, <laughs> like costumed villain with henchmen and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So it's very, you know, yeah. it's like you're shooting the shit with your friend, but your friend happens to have a robot arm yeah. and a laser eye. <laughs> he also said, "We need to talk about Witchfinder as a whole now that the series is done. The series covers his career in service of Queen Victoria from 1879 to 1889." Gray was the son of a game warden and the property of Lord Hastings. Edward's career as a paranormal investigator began early. At age 12, he discovered one of Lord Hastings' sons was a werewolf and had been attacking local children. Though Edward was of low birth, after the werewolf incident, Edward was treated as family. Lord Hastings did not attempt to hide what his son had done. Sir Edward saw Lord Hastings as a standard of nobility. But Hastings was the exception, not the norm, something Sir Edward would take time to discover. By 1876, at age 20, Gray was already developing quite a reputation for himself. Then in 1879, while he solved a case that saved Queen Victoria's life, he was knighted and entered into her service. At this point in life, Sir Edward had worked hard and his efforts had been rewarded. The nobility in his life have generally behaved to the exceptional standards he holds them to. And so Sir Edward doesn't question their behavior. He buys into it and mimics it. He's haughty, quick to judge, and assured in his superiority. Then he runs into the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra, the very worst sorts of people, and over the next decade, everything he thought he knew about the upper class comes into question. The Reign of Darkness completes this journey, when the pinnacle of British aristocracy is more interested in preserving her reputation than serving the people she's supposed to protect. 
I don't actually think Queen Victoria was involved in the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. I don't think she's hiding any dark secret. I think she's simply selfish and assured in her superiority. Her indifference towards those of lower standing is somehow more monstrous and disgusting than actual malice could ever be. So many women died in the story, and this is how she reacts. The title Witchfinder is a derogatory term said by people behind Sir Edward's back. It's a term of shame, and yet this is the title Mignola chose for the series about the period of Sir Edward's life in service to the Queen. In retrospect, 1879 to 1889 was a period of shame for Sir Edward, so the title could not be more fitting. The veil has been lifted, and now Sir Edward will try to serve the people from lower social standing. It is noble work, which is why the book can no longer be called Witchfinder. Pretty oh, cool. Wow. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Thank you for taking that apart, Mark. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Yeah, but I was talking about how I thought it was interesting that he says he's never going to talk about it even in death. Like he's ashamed right. of it, and that's kind of what Mark said too. So yeah. I feel like, yeah. hey, I kind yeah. of, absolutely, I kind of, I'm the I same kind of, yeah, there. yeah, that's that was cool. good. Yeah, I have a thing that I forgot to talk about. Oh, okay, and this frustrated me because I even sent this to you and Aubrey in I advance that, yeah. when we read Witchfinder: The Reign of Darkness. Was uh, Mark Tweedo's always talking about the color journey, and in his awesome debriefing pieces with the creators of that story, he included a huge color map of the story, and he mentions like. Even at, at this scale, you can still see the Hecate sequence. Yeah. Like yeah. when when it's that part happens at the, at the end of issue five, you can see, you know what I mean? It's much, the color is so much different than the rest of the book, which is amazing. I love little things like that. So um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll put that in the post. By the time this episode comes out, you guys will already have seen it. I'll post it out there. But yeah, I forgot to talk about that. So if you missed that, check out our social media. You can check that out. Thank you again, Mark, for all your awesome work. And check out those debriefing pieces at multiversity.com. I'll put a link to all those debriefing pieces um, in the show notes for this episode. All right. Awesome. Thanks for all the feedback this week. Now we're going to go on to our actual book club episode for the week. With an actual book. Yeah. This week we're talking about Hellboy the Lost Army. This was published in July 1st, 1997. I know we already read Bones of Giants, but this novel actually takes place before that one. It's the first novel in the Hellboy universe. Oh, okay. This story takes place in 1986, eight years before Seed of Destruction. Today we're reading the prologue in chapters one through four. Written by Christopher Golden with illustrations throughout by Mike Mignola. We've talked about Christopher Golden a lot of times before. Most Hellboy fans know him from his collaborations with Mignola on the Baltimore comics. I've read the Baltimore book, which is an amazing read. I highly recommend it, but Golden is an acclaimed writer. He's a New York Times bestseller for the supernatural thriller Ariat. He writes a lot of young adult book series. He does a pretty great job with these Hellboy books. We enjoyed Bones of Giants, so I figured let's check out another one of these books that's considered canon, because this is one of the three Hellboy okay. novels that they say this one is actually in the universe. I do want to mention uh, Aubrey and I are also checking out the audiobook. It's narrated by Wayne Mitchell, who also did Bones of Giants. He's an actor, writer, director from Northern California. On his Twitter, he's credited as the director of Soul Dad. There's a forward by Mignola praising Golden's work. He mentions that he only really contributed to the opening sequence. And Golden dedicates this book to Mignola, and he says it was an honor to work with him. So I thought that was pretty sweet. So they mentioned that Mignola, he only really contributed to this opening sequence, the prologue. It's a pretty fun sequence, well, right? Well, all the drawings. Yes, he did do the drawings as well. I didn't mention that. 
Oh, wait, I did mention that. It's a dad joke. (laughs) I'm just making a dad joke. We open with a Bentley going down a Vermont highway. It's on fire. It's veering off course and suddenly jerking back on course. There's purple tentacles bursting through the car. The creature has something like a tail, thick and green with viscous-looking razor spines along its length. It bursts through the rear window. It was burning with a cold blue flame. Quite unlike the fire in the Bentley's engine. Cold blue flame, that makes me think of like the Mm. shock tea, you know, the black flame, like, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. I like that little detail, even back in 97, you know, some of the references, whether they were intentional or not, like kind of line up, you know, Mm. I love stuff like that. It's interesting that they uh, they uh, describe it as cold blue flame because a blue flame is actually hotter than a regular flame. Right, but it's a magical <laughs> it's a magical blue flame, so it's cold. magic flames. <laughs> <laughs> and as this Bentley's on fire coming down the highway, like uh, I'm thinking of all this, you know, very cinematically. And right. 1986, I had to think about like what song is playing on the radio as this is happening. So I was like looking at some 1986 songs. Mm. You know, they had like. Um, Papa Don't Preach, My Madonna, okay. uh, Bon Jovi, You Give Love a Bad Name, that was mm-hmm. on there. But one song that I, I was kind of tickled by because it's kind of a Hellboy reference, it would be interesting, was Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wouldn't that be All great? Right. Yeah, there you go. Oh, man, um. I hated that song in 86. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what 1986 song you it's think. It's a cool video, though. That wasn't a bad video. I mean, it's not like, I mean, you know, at the time, there was a lot of cool stuff going on there. Yeah, I just thought uh, Stuck With You by Huey Lewis and the News. Oh, man. Oh, man. Walk <laughs> This Way by Run DMC. What Have You Done For Me Lately, Janet Jackson? It's a good one. You like that one? Yeah. <laughs> that would be a great one to be playing while all this is going on. Oh, hilarious. They mention a proboscis comes out. I had to look that up. It says the nose of a mammal, especially when it's long and mobile, such as the trunk of an elephant or the snout of a tapir. So along one of these comes out, along with a fleshy boil that's covered in eyes. Gross. That's a pretty dis- good description of the Ogdruham-like things, because you're trying to describe something like that, it seems like, yeah. to me, right? And so yeah. how do you describe that with words when... You know, someone like James Heron or Guy Davis just draws, like, eyes all over this weird, bulbous-shaped... You know what I mean? In the midst of all this, the car is approaching a roadside diner. There's a bellow and some gunshots, and a body tumbles out of the passenger side. The bulbous sack with the eyes and the proboscis and the tentacles and all that, it explodes everywhere, making the fire more intense. The Bentley crashes into the diner. I love that maybe, uh, what have you done for me lately yeah, is playing. that's great. And a body rolls out, and of course, it's Hellboy. Sure. He's batting the fire off his coat. And Golden does a great job of describing our held boy. <laughs> it looks like, his skin looks like calluses, but it's all over his body or something like that. I guess like you're that. trying to say it's like a rough, yeah, like yeah. kind of. Uh, so he's he's like shambling over to this phone booth i guess after being on fire and <laughs> battling this monster and he's i i do like that like you're talking about the juxtaposition of this goofy song with this very serious right yeah you know this <laughs> car careening down a highway with a monster inside it. and just i feel like this is that same thing just like the juxtaposition of like this in embattled he's all torn up and just something very he was on fire just recently and he's very <laughs> 
you know, he's weary from battle and he like shambles over to a phone booth to be like, yeah, collect call. Yeah. <laughs> no, just say it's a collect call from Vermont. Just, okay, thank you. Oh. Tom, hey, it's uh, it's me. You know, it's just a very like office comedy kind right, of a thing yes, there, but yes. it's like in an unusual circumstance. There's a diner I always with a Bentley crash that, yeah. in the background. I like that kind of, you know, that kind of juxtaposition in stories is often very, yeah. it's, it's good. It's good stuff. I like this first illustration we get from Mignola in here, too. It's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. You see Hellboy being thrown back and all the tentacles flying around. I wish we had a better idea of what this thing looks like, but I guess that's the whole point. Well, you're, not supposed to use, you're, yeah. you know, you're supposed to use your imagination. It's a book. Yeah. I yeah. want someone to draw it for me. Yeah, and a lot of this... <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that we brought this up the last book we read, and I'm really not trying to bash anyone who worked on this because, you know, it's great. You, you did a great job. I just, like, when I'm reading this, I'm like, why isn't this a comic book? Why am I not reading comic book <laughs> so right good, now? I don't yeah. get it. You know, but then you see... Every once in a while, you get a nice illustration from Mignola. It kind of puts you back into it. Sure. A little bit. At least it did me. So, But it was like that with the other book. You know, for me, the first couple of chapters were like, I'm still easing into this. And then I'm confident that uh, the same thing will happen. As Hellboy's talking to Manning, he mentions Miss Crittenden. I couldn't really find a reference to that name. I had to look it up. He says that she didn't care about the house or the car. She just wanted that thing out of there. Too bad, though. It was a nice car, he says. And while they're talking, he's like, what do you mean it can't be killed by fire? <laughs> he's like, hold on a second, Tom. And then he drops the phone. Yeah. So he's he's rifling through his little pouches. We've we've brought these pouches up before, all his little his Batman pouches. Yeah, this is kind of a funny moment because he's like dropping stuff. <laughs> he's he looking can't find the, the right thing. The pockets of his of his coat and everything, his jacket, and he's like tossing out all these t- little talismans and everywhere and whatever and he's just like geez and he's like pricking his finger on the sharp points of these things yeah yeah it's good stuff he mentions a rosary blessed by pope pius the seventh he was the pope during world war ii during his leadership the catholic church during the war was kind of the subject of controversy including <laughs> allegations of public silence and inaction about the fate of the jews but this guy he worked through diplomacy to aid the victims of the nazis mm-hmm. during the war and so through directing the church he was able to provide discreet aid to the jews you know what i mean so he was like he saved like thousands of lives okay. so he was like canonized later but i thought what was interesting about in reference to this rosary is he is reportedly um, a potential miracle. Uh, Reports from 2014 indicate a potential miracle from the United States attributed to the intercession of the late Pope that was reported to the postulation. The miracle pertains to a male plagued with severe influenza and pneumonia that could have proven to be fatal. The individual was said to have healed in full after a novella to Pius VII. Okay. Interesting. Anyway, so I was like, maybe that's why... They decide to use that Pope for the rosary because he is related to a potential miracle mm, or okay. whatever. You sure, know what sure. I mean? He also mentions a ward against evil from a Santeria priest. Do I need to talk about what Santeria is? No, I think we know what Santeria is. It's like voodoo. Everybody knows what that is. It arose through a process of blending between the traditional Yorba religion of West Africa, the Roman Catholic form of Christianity, and spiritualism. And he's got all these charms, talismans. He finds something, he thinks he grabs something, it's a flashlight. He gets something else out, it's a flare gun. So he just keeps like pulling out the wrong thing every time. He's like, come on. And it's like, not at the shrilly screaming creature, but in frustration with his search. (laughs) I like that. So finally he finds this thermite charge. Um, You think it's going to be like a, when it said that it was a little cube, I thought it was going to be like some mystical thing. 
I was like, oh, kind of like the shapes, but no, it's just like a little bomb. No, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a thermite charge. Yeah. I, uh, I looked up thermite because oh. I wanted to know about thermite because I think that they use it. Uh, we, we've watched Mythbusters, right? That yeah, they use yeah. thermite sometimes on there. And so Mythbusters today. I recall it being like, it's not an explosive, I don't think. So I wanted to look it up just real briefly. Uh, thermite reactions have many uses. That's Wikipedia. That's not helpful. That's not a good sentence. <laughs> uh, it says here, thermite's not an explosive. It operates by exposing a very small area to extremely high temperatures. Obviously, that's a very like you know simplified description of it. But it says intense heat focused on a small spot can be used to cut through metal or weld metal components together by melting the metal from the components, etc., etc. Okay. So that's kind of neat. That is neat. That's fun. Learning about yeah. science stuff. Yeah. So it's a thermite reaction when used to purify the ores of some metals is called the thermite process. Mm. So apparently that's another thing you can do with it. That's interesting. Apparently the military uses them to make like grenades and shit. So okay. that's uh, an interesting. I don't know if they're shaped like cubes, but <laughs> that's kind of neat. But before he can even use it, the Bentley blows up. The flames had finally reached the gas tank and all the demon flesh and everything explodes out of the car lovely (laughs) (laughs) so he goes back to the phone which is still dangling there tom manning is still there and he's like ah we're all set now and then so they mention his next mission is in egypt so that this kind of happened in the last book too where it was like it opened with this little he was fighting that thing in the carnival remember in the theme park and then he got a call that Mm -hmm. he was like what they need me in norway or whatever right yeah yeah that was a cool opening scene i could see mignola writing that i could see that him designing that creature and that whole comedic beat is very his style chapter one opens christopher golden lovingly describes the falling water building the frank lloyd wright yeah and there's even a nice illustration in it yeah it's too. a good uh, i actually like that little panel it's cute um remember when we talked about the falling water building contemporary japanese architect Ando said of the house, I think Wright learned the most important aspect of architecture, the treatment of space from Japanese architecture. When I visited Falling Water in Pennsylvania, I found the same sensibility of space, but there was the additional sounds of nature that appealed to me. And Golden kind of writes about that, how it's kind of like blended with nature and all that kind of stuff. I like that. He does mention the BPRD lobby and there's no like any kind of emblem or anything, but I think we have seen the lobby and there was a giant logo behind the desk or right. something. I don't remember. Well, maybe that was installed later. Maybe. Oh, you're right. Yeah, because it's eight years before Seed of Destruction and I'm sure that panel was from a later... Yeah, that makes sense. Good job there. That was an accident. <laughs> this opening scene has an interesting interaction with Liz and Broom, right? They start off and they almost have like that, uh, the typical arguing, you know, yeah, kind of like, thing. Yeah, she's like, hey, I know you don't want me to come, but yeah. I'm going to come anyway because Dr. Manning <laughs> said that I could. Right. It's tough shit. And he's like, it's not that I don't want you to come. I'm just worried that maybe you'll freak out and set everything on fire again. And she's like, uh, it's been two years, asshole. <laughs> so doesn't I, I guess it doesn't mean anything to you. And he's like, yeah, it does. But like, you know. And so that's, uh, that's their whole deal right there. You know, I guess uh, until we started reading this, I was always under the impression that um, that Broom was the head of the BPRD the whole time. Yeah, I guess yeah. I, I wonder where that happens because it, he is kind of the head, but at some point Manning is going to come in. I guess when the yeah. government takes control because sure. we've I seen mean, like... They're going to uh, want to install their own guy. We, we've seen like in the 19... What was it? The 1940s or... He's like over it, but... 
something happens between there and the 80s where you're not going to get the government's military resources right. without them being in charge of that yeah, shit. It's not to going guy, to happen. Right. Yeah. So they're going well, they they're going to have their own guy come in there. Well, they also talk about how like Broom doesn't really want a desk job. He wants to be out in the field. Exactly. So. And so right. that's the little you know? trade-off that he's done is he's like, "Well, I want to do that shit. Let this guy do it." <laughs> I want to yeah. go have adventures and stuff, so that makes perfect sense. They were probably like, uh, "Broom, we really need you here to do this." He's like, "Fine, <laughs> here, uh, bring in this guy, do it. <laughs> Let Manning do it." <laughs> yeah. We and, and we kind of uh, it introduces us to all the all the characters in case we didn't know them, right? Liz yeah, lights up a cigarette with her finger, and Abe comes in and explains yeah. his whole story I'm again. I'm a fish man. I'm a fish guy, and I light things on fire, and so it's very yeah. I think that's another. That's one of the reasons where it's like. They got to tell us who Hellboy is. Yeah. And they got to tell us all this stuff. And I'm like, all right. They got to mention the right hand sure, and all that stuff. Sure. And that's just and part I, of I it. it. I understand I get it. it. Yeah. I get it. So, yeah. But I feel like getting past all of that for me is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I skimmed a lot of this. But I, I, I did think this was funny because, you know, it mentions how he got the name Abe Sapien, which we've heard a uh, hundred times. But then uh, Liz says... It's better than calling him Icky. Sure. Because it said Icto Sapien right. on the thing, which I thought was great. That was a great line. Yeah. I was like, good job there. That I was like a Liz's nice little, another little here. take on it. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about that. The panels of Liz, and then there's one of Broom and I like Abe. her. Uh, I like her panel. It's, it's a very good visual for what's going on in the scene, because they're describing her as having like a hunting kind of a... Right, the look or 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 air about her of yeah, she's yeah. very like oh everyone's kind of well, I feel like a lot of people are using kid gloves right now yeah and it's kind of you know well, this is early twenties yes. Liz yeah so this is probably like the youngest that we've seen her other than like the dead remembered when she was still like yeah. a teenager early teenager it's just or like something. the mood of the shot is very well rendered and you've got Hellboy is looking moody everyone looks real moody here Abe and everybody and yeah it's, you know it's good stuff I like there's some little sarcastic remarks between. Abe and Hellboy as he comes in, it's he's playful. like, yeah, it's, good. it's fine. It's pretty good. And it mentions like Hellboy's like, oh, I had to get some sleep, which is funny because that was a Bones of Giants thing, too. They focused on that. There was a whole thing about how Hellboy really needed to sleep. Yeah. And if he didn't sleep and it mentioned that he feels guilty about having slept in so long because Liz has insomnia. Right. And which so that was another interesting. Yeah. Even when he's suffering from lack of sleep, he's like, well, you know, Liz, Liz has it really rough, too. Maybe I shouldn't complain because liz has a hard time sleeping because she's got nightmares about all this horrible stuff so that's it lets us know the kind of guy he is he's always worried about his friends yeah i mean it's nice he's trying to be sensitive to, yeah. to his friends and all that and it also talks about hellboy's relationship with broom which we know about you know he's kind of like he wants to please him he doesn't feel like i'm never he's, good enough for yeah. my dad but my dad is a nice guy anyway it's it's complicated yeah and he took custody of him how he educated him and trained him and all that good stuff and the team is upset because they tell them that Hellboy's not going to be joining them in Edinburgh. Instead, Hellboy's going to on another mission. And so they're pissed. They mentioned McGoldrick's Castle. I couldn't find a reference to that. If anyone knows what that means. But they say that Hellboy has to go to Egypt. The British, American, and Egyptian governments are in an uproar over this whole thing. They have to send somebody in. And it just so happens that Hellboy was specifically requested. And Liz is just like, so who's the point man now? And they say, Mr. Johnson. So I don't know who that is. Okay. Um, obviously, it makes me think of Lobster Johnson, but that's not who it would be. 
I don't know awesome. who. I don't that know would be who so Mr. great. Johnson they all is. get there like, hey, so where's this guy? And he just he just fucking rolls in. He's like, justice. He's no, like kicking doors. The in ghost, the, the ghost of Lobster Johnson. Yes, yeah, that precisely awesome. that. Yeah. He could. I mean, they have ghosts on their team. Yeah, yeah. Fucking what's his name? <laughs> Well, not yet, but well, yeah. Well, no, but I but mean, they eventually will. Yeah, they will. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, who's Mr. Johnson anyway? I thought that was interesting. Anyway, that'd be good. <laughs> I can't stop imagining this scenario now. <laughs> it'd be great. He's uh, just like burning everybody. They're just like, we were questioning the guy, and now he's unconscious because you burned him with a lobster right. claw. <laughs> And uh, it mentions Abe listening to music. You know, Abe listens to music a lot. We've There was mentions of in Bones of Giants of him listening to some music. And then in the comics, we've seen him with like a radio or a CD player headphones sure. and stuff like that. Hellboy's so, not having it, quite frankly. He's listening to some questionable music Hellboy's here. Hellboy's had enough. You know, it's uh, of the times, I guess. Hellboy's like, I'm sick of this. <clears throat> what, but we're friends, so I'm going to just let it go. And that's yeah. Fine. But at one point, he's like, why did we have to come on the same plane? <laughs> <laughs> and they mention because uh oh well haven't you seen the news so of course incorporating the historical fiction there was conflicts between libya and the u.s during this time and so that is mentioned as part of the reason why they can't fly over the area they mention a club filled with german civilians and american servicemen was bombed in west germany yesterday and so this is a reference to the West Berlin discotheque bombing on April 5th, 1986. Three people were killed and 229 were injured when LaBelle discotheque was bombed in the district of West Berlin. The entertainment venue was commonly frequented by United States soldiers and two of the dead and the 79 injured were Americans. So that kicked off this whole thing, yeah. right? And so that's just happened, you know, as they're heading out into potentially areas very close to where all this is going on so there's a great moment here because uh professor room's like and stay out of libya because you know all this stuff is going on and hellboy's like i'm not going to be hanging over there there's no theme parks or good restaurants let's hope anastasia has more than military rations out in the desert liz said maybe she'll make you that shepherd's pie you like so much Hellboy winced, let out a breath, looked anywhere but at Professor Broom. Abe hummed along to his music ah. and pretended he wasn't listening. He was smart enough to stay out of these conversations. Anastasia, the professor asked. Anastasia Bronsfield? Don't tell me she's the one who called in the BPRD on this. And Hellboy's like, oh, so they have a history, right? Yeah. And Professor Broom isn't very I like how he this. can't even say, he's like, what you got to do? What, what? Did she call you on this? <laughs> what? He's all of a sudden freaking out. And, and Hellboy... Because that's his dad. He's like, uh, you know, if it had been literally any other person, he'd be right. like, it's none of your business. Why don't you shut up about it? Why don't you shut it? But it's his dad. So he's like, uh, yeah, he can't say anything about it. And so uh, Liz is Liz is kind of playfully like, ah, you know, give him a break. Oh, it's it'll be fine. She's just a woman. There's no such thing as just a woman, okay. my dear. Professor Broom sniffed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just actually thought about this uh we, we were talking about the uh audiobook a few moments ago the the guy who's reading it does a really good professor broom he really kind of sounds oh, like fun. john hurt from the from the movie yeah he really does and i like the it uses it a couple times it says professor broom sniffed like you get the idea of how he's talking through that little yeah, like it's um, a bit description, of a yeah you know what i mean idiosyncrasy like, he's yeah. got going on. so now he's like be careful hellboy we cut to Hellboy being on the plane, and this guy, he gives him a parachute. He's like, put this on. 
Hellboy's like, wait, just because I'm durable doesn't mean I like shoved out of airplanes. And the guy's like, you've got two choices. You can either land where you need to land now, or you can have two days like in a Jeep driving there. Well, he's got a good point. So they check that Hellboy's got all his supplies. He puts on the parachute. He's got the belt with all his charms and talismans and his weapons and a homing beacon, which I like because we've seen that in the movie. We've seen that in some of the comics, too, that he's got the little homing so beacon that he clicks on. Before this, all of this happens, I just wanted to just briefly go back for a second. And uh, when he wakes up, he shook off the phantom weight and heft of his amputated horns the way a man who has lost a limb must force himself to ignore phantom pains. Wow. Hellboy often dreamed he still had horns. Uh, they weren't nightmares, but when he woke, he never liked the way the dreams made him feel. So, interesting. I really thought that was a very interesting thing yeah. to add there. And um, I don't know, or at least I can't remember right now, have we ever heard of this before? No, I don't think so, but we know that That's he... pretty cool. He's had visions of being the Beast of the Apocalypse. Sure, but the fa- like t- this takes it yeah. further than that. I like to that. To the point where yeah. like yeah. it's a f- it's like it's not just cuz so far I've always just thought of it as oh he snaps the horns off and it's fine. I don't really think about him. We're learning that he thinks about him all the time. Right. They feels like they're still there to him. Yeah. Still after all this time. Well, remember like when he goes into the rage moments yeah. like in Wild Hunt and he kills all the giants. Like yeah. he grows the horns He gets them back. back and then he has to take them off yeah, again and all that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. It's so, kind of like they're always there that, for But him. he's like, I don't like the way that feels. Sure. You know, like he maybe, ah, awesome. I'm so glad you pointed that out. He's scratching his head here and so like that he's very aware of it. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's very like, especially just because he, he just woke up and all this. And so it's just a little bit more. I like those moments of like it's oh it's just a little bit more something I never really thought about that lets me invest deeper into this character, and I love that yeah. sort of thing. And so um, Christopher Golden will hit you with that just randomly, where you're kind of skimming along. You're like, yeah, I know who Hellboy is. Oh, but this is interesting. Now yeah. I know who he is even more. Which yeah, I, I like that. Very cool. Thank you for pointing that out. And so there's this whole sequence as Hellboy's falling out of the plane. He pulls the thing. And it just tears off in his hand, right? And no parachute comes oh, out. Man. And he can't find the other one. Um, there's a good descriptor in here where it says, he could not dismiss the feeling that his heavy right hand was pulling him faster and faster towards the earth. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, so he's feeling all around as he's falling. It's very suspenseful because it's like 500 feet, six, sure, 400 yeah. feet. You know what I mean? As he's getting closer and closer to the ground. There's only so close yeah, that you, you can get yeah. before you pull the thing. Well, yeah. And that's how that chapter ends. Right. Uh, we pick up chapter two, and he finally uh, finds the thing. He pulls it. Nothing happens. Yeah. And then he pulls it again, and it snaps off, but the parachute finally opens. And I'm right now, I'm like, what's the point of this? Why are we doing this? But I guess it's to show he's stronger. It says here, it's like, oh, the, when the chute opened, he was jerked back with extraordinary force. A human man might well have had his neck broken from the jolt alone. Right. So is it trying to, he's just trying to tell us like, oh, Hellboy is like a super guy. I, I think like that, a superhero. that and also there is just an ongoing theme with the BPRD shit doesn't work (laughs) especially for hellboy he seems to be falling out of planes with parachutes not working tumbling around and taking a spill yeah or jetpacks exploding exactly okay okay so that's kind of how i took it too like if you read the comics if you read the comics you know that the bprd's equipment never works okay got it that's you know that makes sense 
that's good stuff. But I, I thought that this part was unnecessary with the camel. I wasn't a fan. Yeah, he smashes a camel. It's unnecessary. He land, that's what breaks his fall. Just have him land uh, in the sand. I do like the illustration here of this little guy. Yeah, this we get a cute. Mignola camel. I don't know if we've ever seen one of those before, but it is very nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. We cut over and we meet Anastasia Bronzefield. And so it, she's out there searching. It says the very idea of a search was laughable, she thought. The desert was constantly in motion, evolving, folding in upon itself. It would swallow its secrets in moments and only give them up when it desired. I like the idea of that. Like, stuff gets lost out of there. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's almost like a sea. They, they describe it a couple times. That yeah. Stuff will get lost and then it'll just pop up later because it all it flows out. It moves like out an ocean, and, yeah. kind of. Interesting. Yeah. So is this the um, first time we're actually seeing Anastasia Bronfield? Because I know we've mentioned her before. Yes. So uh, she was mentioned in Abe Sapien, The Drowning. They mentioned that Hellboy left for five years with her. And that's when that story takes place. Oh. That's why Abe has to go do it because Hellboy's not there. Interesting. And so they reference those five years in here um, that he was with her or whatever. So this is after the fact. But we've never actually seen her so that, yeah that we will get to an illustration of her in here too she's got a she's got a yankees cap on i'm walking here oh so uh, that was one of the 90s things that i was yeah. like yeah everybody had the new york yankees cap oh that really was very yeah that was very popular like i remember in the 90s like the looney tunes characters <laughs> with the new york yankees shit on do you remember shit like that or with like the chicago bulls logos and stuff like that like, or like um Why any, or like cartoon didn't characters live in New York or move from New York it was just it became like a fashion thing almost do you remember that Aubrey do you know so what I'm talking weird. about vaguely I didn't really pay attention to sports <laughs> interesting yeah that's and, no, thing. but so, just so, the, so, I don't the non sports people and if people are wearing sports stuff it just kind of I don't care sure okay Blinks out of my head right. I just remember <laughs> that being like a popular thing I huh, could see if you're from another country Hey, I'm going to get you a New York Yankees cap. You okay. know what I mean? With that huh. logo on it. Because I just remember That's that weird. being of the time. I don't know. Interesting. Well, I guess I had a I was a 90s PR kid. Team. Sure. I didn't have a cap like that, though. She's got a colleague here, Arun Lahiri. He's the expedition's historian. He's going to be one of the characters in the story. He tells her that the bloody MI5 are there again. A couple of Bedouins stumbled into camp raving about a sand demon or some such. The gits from Intelligent jumped into a jeep and off they went without any comment as to where they were headed. So he mentions that. They decide to go after them. Uh, and so they mention this guy, Michael Cregan. He's the MI5 commander and he's kind of a dickhead, right? She's like, I wish the Cold War would be over so we don't need any more of him. Little does she know we're always... <laughs> That's not going to end things, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> After they talk for a little bit, she's like, all right, let's go see that Bedouin sand demon. And she's like, wait a minute. Jesus, she says, step on it, Arun, before they start shooting at him. So she realizes that this is probably Hellboy is the sand demon. Yeah, and we get that picture of her. Oh, yeah, look, she's got the cap. Yeah, she's got the She's got the cap in the picture. That's great. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. There's this detail where uh, Hellboy's walking through the desert with the rest of the camels that are still alive. I thought Aww. that was really funny. Like... He's just out there in the middle of nowhere, and it says he felt bad leaving the dead one because he didn't know if people ate camels. So I, I had to look that up, fortunately or unfortunately for you. It says camel meat is eaten in the Middle East and parts of Africa, but it's no chicken. This is serious special occasion food. The hump is a prized cut, offering the fattiest, most tender meat, according to mm. Syrian Lebanese chef and author Anissa Hilu, who has written about her experiences eating camel meat. 
So they do. Uh, and there's also another funny detail that the camels will just stop. <laughs> and so he's like pulling them. Um, so I did read that these kind of camels that are in this kind of desert are known to be kind of stubborn. Mm. So, like that. so that's a very interesting detail. You know, you wouldn't really know unless you went and did all this stupid research like I do. <laughs> so he's walking through the desert and suddenly he sees a Jeep approaching. Something about the approaching vehicle didn't seem right to him. He looked more closely at the passengers. Then he saw guns. So much for the welcome wagon, mm. he muttered under his breath. Hope for the best and expect the worst. You'll never be disappointed. Yeah, I did want to talk about that quote. Thank you for mentioning that. So I couldn't find that direct version. There are very there are various versions of that right. quote, but not that specific one. Um, but I thought this was interesting. I am prepared for the worst, but hope for the best. Benjamin Disraeli, huh. which is a huge oh, coincidence wow. <laughs> because Disraeli was a pseudonym for Matt Brooker, who did The Gates of Heaven, which we just covered a couple weeks ago. And I was thinking it might be maybe that pseudonym is a reference to Benjamin Disraeli. And so he did say a version of that. There's also Hoping for the Best, Prepared for the Worst, and Unsurprised by Anything in Between by Maya Angelou. And Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must accept infinite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. So I kind of feel like this is a variation of sure, that. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of different versions of like, uh, hoping for the best, prepared for the worst, and something, yeah. something, it's like, something. Well, be, be prepared, but also don't waste your time being miserable because you don't know what the outcome is going to be right. kind of a thing. They mentioned that the MI5 have the SA-80 rifle. Well, they wore black jumpsuits without insignia. That's uh, never good. Uh, no, especially when you're in the desert. Sign. Why? It seems unnecessary, guys. Just Aren't you hot in there? never a good sign. Probably don't smell good. But it's also like... That's just, that never bodes well. <laughs> when you see somebody like that, you're like, this is probably going to be bad. Yeah, they've had these rifles and these S-80. Uh, it says that they were new for the time, and they were, actually. It says the first prototypes would have been around during this time. It wasn't even standard issue yet. So th I thought that was an interesting detail by Christopher Golden. Hellboy's like, you guys got a problem? Krieger says, perhaps you're a bit deaf. Or a bit daft. Yeah, it's it. I'm a little <laughs> bit deaf. Come, why don't you come closer and I can hear what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> he's that. just <laughs> sick of their shit. He's I not having that it. little moment. He's not that having really it. Great. They say he's trespassing. The guy says, I assumed you were a hoax or some genetic mutation. Or perhaps just tragically ugly. Jeez. No offense. No offense. <laughs> That's offensive. What are you going to say something offensive and then say no offense? Come on. So, Assholes say that shit all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. rude. It's rude. Hellboy's like, ah, this guy's going to be a charmer. So they're having this kind of showdown there. They're pointing their guns at Hellboy. He's thinking about like if he's going to be able to survive because he knows <laughs> that he's invulnerable to a certain point. Sure. And an engine roared suddenly, and a second Jeep took off a dune behind Hellboy. And so that's Bronzefield with Lahiri. And she tells Cregan to saw it off. Is she British? Yeah. Okay. I, I guess, yeah. yeah. And then they have their little interaction here. We get an illustration of this guy, Cregan. That's a chucklehead right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking... Oh, yeah. Here she goes. Uh, just what the devil do you think you're doing? And it's right. a very British thing to say. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. It isn't as if there are a lot of enormous red gentlemen with cloven hooves and tails running around, is there? Yeah. <laughs> So she's like, look. You're out of line? No, you're out of line. Yeah, Everyone's she's like, I'm in charge of this investigation, and I asked him to be here, and so that's that. And Hellboy's like, I told you I was invited, moron. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're going to hint at, 
you know, this prior relationship. I mean, you know, that's one thing I was interested about reading these books is to find out more about this character. She's hinted at so much, but we never actually get a story with her. So um, there are these moments where it says he felt her staring at him, but for a moment could not turn and face her. Every day they spent together in the short time they had shared played itself over again in his head, in his heart. All the things he had faced in his life, all the horrors he had witnessed, and he couldn't meet the eyes of a woman he cared for. That's his girlfriend. Yeah, there you go. So ex-girlfriend. Yeah, well, <laughs> but they're still cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, they are. I have a feeling Which... that it didn't. It didn't so much end in a breakup as much as just kind of like, well, I gotta go over here now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I gotta go this way. So see you yeah. later, alligator. And he hugs her, but he hugs her a little too tight, and she's ah. like, "Oh, you're crushing my ribs," and he's like. You know, so there's that whole moment, too. What do you guys think of that? What do you think of this? Do, do you buy it? Do you feel like this is cool? Or, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, well, I think it's fine. Yeah. I think it's like a very... Golden does a good job of... Uh, sure. Yeah. He's trying to make it... He's trying to make it like... There's a little tension here, but it's also good and yeah. fun and exciting. And he's trying to make it... You know, what person reading this hasn't had a little something like that going on in their lives right, at right. some point? And so... You're, it yeah. makes it kind of interesting like are we interested in this Anastasia character or not yeah and here's a good way to kind of get us immediately interested in what's going on is have these guys have kind of an awkward thing but it's all right yeah I think he's doing a really good job of setting up that you know that they've had a history before uh, even though like I mean I'm assuming this is the first appearance of this character so it is pretty kind of neat to that there's some history and backstory there and that's kind yeah, of so, a that's kind of an yeah. interesting action movie trope of like ah it's this one over oh. here. Oh, what? I heard she was a really uh, smart scientist. Yeah, it's not that. It's just that, well, we spent some time together on our last mission out. And let me just say that we have a history. Oh, and so she's right. like, oh, you haven't cut your hair in a while. Oh. And it's like a yeah, very, yeah, you know, yeah. it's always one of those kind of a things. <laughs> Great. It's kind of a trope at this point. And it's it's a fun, like, you know, silly action movie thing that to have in there. I think that's fine. She also introduces Hellboy to Lahiri. And he's like, oh, I briefly met you in Cameroon. I was on Jim Powell's third Makole Mbembe expedition. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but this is like a cryptozoology thing. It's a water-dwelling entity that lives in the Congo River Basin, sometimes described mm. as a living creature, sometimes as a spirit. Okay. During the early 20th century, descriptions of the entity increasingly reflected public's fascination with dinosaurs, including mm. aspects of particular dinosaur species, now known among scientists to be incorrect. And the entity became increasingly described alongside a number of purported living dinosaurs in Africa. Cool. So then it started to become like a thing of pseudoscience and young creationists. Oh, shit. Where they That's were saying, cool. oh, this thing That's is actually good. evidence of creationism. Oh, yeah. And this uh. is like counterbalance of science. So then it became like this whole reptilian conspiracy theory, cre- oh, young oh, creationism. Oh, I take it back. I, it's not yeah. cool. It's not cool. So it, no, it started off as something cool. Right. And then it got twisted by yeah, you know, ooh, religious ooh. fanaticism God, or whatever. You just know ruin what I mean? everything. You can't let us have a fun, like a Bigfoot thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or a Loch Ness Monster thing. It's just a fun, weird thing. You can't let us have it. You got to turn it into something horrible and harmful and terrible. Just, God, please. Why? Oh, Why? man. So as they're heading out, there's a little bit of tension between Lahiri, Anastasia, and Hellboy, too, because now... You know, Lahiri's kind of like third wheel. We to have them. history, and I'm a third wheel, and I'm I'm the third wheel. We have we're over here. We have history. Yeah. Legend, legend, the third, third wheel, wheel legend. legend. Always, Always the way. 
I guess I should tell you why you're here, Anastasia began, not even bothering to address her associate's sarcasm, because Lahiri made like a little comment, I think. I was wondering when you would get around to that, Hellboy admitted. I don't fly halfway around the world and jump out of an airplane over the desert just for anybody, you know. Aww. Anastasia smiled in that moment. It was as if they had never been apart. Aww. So, chapter three opens with, now they're trying to tell Hellboy, you know, about this mission. Five weeks ago, the British Museum sent an archaeological team here, Anastasia explained. One of the team members was a third cousin of some such to the royal family. So that's why Cregan and the MI5 are there, right? Right. I like the little um, illustration here of these guys. Oh, yeah. Those are the Bedouins. Cool. A lot of um, textures in these yeah, garments. Yeah, described in there. Yeah. You know, Hellboy's like, well, desert bandits or something. You know, people go missing <laughs> in the desert all the time. You know, it's unfortunate, bandits. but it's a common thing. And she's like, you don't understand. This was like a ton of people and equipment and tanks and, you know, all this like stuff that he's we so had. It was a whole camp. And in this scene, he's so like thick and she keeps trying to be like, no, we had like gigantic trucks and Jeeps yeah. and, and, and I mean, like a caravan of people that's just like a small city moving around. You're not going to that there's going to be some evidence right. of this. He's just like, nah, it's probably fine. <laughs> it's probably bandits. And we go on like this for several pages. It's a while, right? She's like, she even mentions, even if somebody did come here, like the Grinch. She mentions the Grinch. Yeah. Dr. Seuss, you know, he comes and takes all the Christmas. She's like, even if someone did that, <laughs> we'd find something. It just seems like he's being so thick. And she's like, but that's not all. It gets even weirder. So before she can say that, Cregan comes over and they have an interaction. And he says... Miss Bransfield, I thought you would want to know that the Americans have commenced bombing Libya. So this actually gives us a specific timestamp right. to where the story is taking place because the United States bombing of Libya took place on Tuesday, April 15, 1986. The attack was carried out by U.S. Air Force, U.S. Navy, and U.S. Marine in airstrikes in retaliation for that West Berlin discotheque bombing that we talked about earlier. There were Libyan casualties, and one U.S. plane was shot down. At one point, they said that Gaddafi's baby girl granddaughter was part of the casualties, but then there's also doubts into whether she was really killed or if, if she even existed at all. Oh, so all this kind of stuff behind all that. So I thought that was interesting. And um, yeah. you had some interesting trivia that you were telling me about this date as well, Aubrey, because it has more significance than... Earlier in the story, it mentions that Liz is 24 years old, and I was like, wait a second. So I was like looking up her birthday, and her birthday, she was born on April 15th, 1962. So that would make her 24 years old right now. So in the story, she would have been... At the beginning of the story, she would have been 23, oh, because they, okay. they said that the bombing took place on the 5th of April... So that means that they were on the sixth of April. So I don't know. I mean, I just so I just thought that it was be a nice little goof that they had right there. Because right, Liz, right. Liz wasn't twenty four yet, but she's about to be. Oh man. Well, and you I, also I, said like, why didn't anyone say like, hey, your birthday is coming up? Yeah, I was like, you know, nobody's <laughs> right. mentioning her birthday or anything like that. No, and they're all just kind of be all like, do 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 do. Who cares? But then also, it also said that Abe was on his thing was written April fourteenth, so that was the day before. You know. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Both of their kind of so quote unquote birthdays are only really mm -hmm. a day apart other than the year. Wow, Aubrey. That's some good research right there. <laughs> good job. Also, I wanted to say about the Libyan bombing. I actually remember that. I was oh, like 11 wow. years. I was 11 years old when it happened. And it, it was um, I was a little freaked out by it at the time because, you know, that was like during Reagan and the height of the Cold War. Oh, yeah. You know? So it, it, I remember being a little scared by that. 
it takes the historical fiction to another level when it's something you actually live through, right? Mm-hmm. Here, when they're in the camp, there's this scene. They're eating falafel cheese and pigeon roasted pigeon they talk about that mm. they're like it's like chicken and he's like that's what everybody says and then he finally tries some and he's like it's not bad but it's also not like chicken mm. but i like a, i like a good falafel yeah i bet you there's a good falafel Absolutely. out there in the egyptian desert oh, man yeah yeah i would hope so <laughs> <laughs> he also eats oh. some figs you like some figs yeah oh yeah how do you feel about some figs i remember as a kid liking figs but i don't think i've had one in like 30 years <laughs> <laughs> Golden writes, Hellboy pondered the ease which he and Anastasia had fallen back into the rhythm of patter that had once been so familiar for them, as if it had been five weeks since they last saw each other, not five years. And I thought this was a funny moment. So Lahiri, he says, Hellboy, what do you think? And he's like, tasty, even the pigeon, but it could have used some cayenne. And then he's like, no, about the mission, (laughs) not about the food. And Hellboy's like, oh, it's like the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. So there's a reference to that. That was also a very popular thing during the 90s. I kind of looked into the Bermuda Triangle as well. I did a report on the Bermuda Triangle as a child, a small child. I think we all did. Did you ever? I did one too. Did you ever do one, Aubrey? I've never did a report on it, but I do remember like seeing like the Time Life books talk about it, the Bermuda Triangle, and I feel like the Bermuda Triangle came up a lot when I was a kid, and I, yeah. it was like that in quicksand. I thought I was going to be having to deal with as an adult. <laughs> so yeah, I would looked into the Bermuda Triangle. You know, a lot of the reputable sources um, say that the mysteries, like there's holes in the evidence or they were embellished you know a lot of the data is spurious they've even done studies of the entire ocean and they had like the top five deadliest spots of the ocean where ships go missing and they crash and all that and the bermuda triangle wasn't even like in the top (laughs) 10 or something like that so like you know it's not even considered in, in terms of like the amount of stuff that goes lost at sea it's not any there's not really any significance to that that's area. what they want you to think oh man i just mean the bermuda triangle's got good pr people that's true <laughs> but then she's like oh well we got interrupted we were going to tell you that it gets even weirder because this goes all the way back to 525 bc Ooh. apparently during the persian war Right, they reference that. Uh, 525 is the date of the Battle of Pelusium. This was the first major battle of the Achaemenid Empire in Egypt. This decisive battle transferred the home of the pharaohs to Cambyses II of Persia. And so Cambyses is mentioned here in this story. So this is where they're kind of working in their historical fiction here because this did actually happen. But I couldn't find any reference of Cambyses sending out these 50,000 men to capture an oasis. But that's what happens in this story. So he sends them out and they all disappear. And it's the same spot that all these people disappeared too. That is creating the supernatural part. Hellboy says, either the story is all crap and we're out here for no reason whatsoever except to find some poor saps that wandered off or committed some mass suicide or something. Or there actually was an army that got swallowed up by the desert, Hellboy explained. He says, or maybe giant sandworms like in Dune. <laughs> so Dune, that's the Frank Herbert novel, right? Uh, um, you know, the sandworms. That's my favorite book. <laughs> you know, and the sandworms are a big part of that. You know, I think of the David Lynch version where fucking Kyle McLaughlin's on the top of the sandworm, you know, riding through the thing or whatever. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. Fucking the sleeper awoke. <laughs> <laughs> so as they're talking, a guy runs in and he's like, oh shit, they found them. 
So we cut over to this oasis, Golden Rites. It was almost a crater in the middle of the desert, a deep depression with stoned and earth walls that sloped steeply down from the sand to the edge of the small forest that surrounded the lake at the center of the oasis. And Hellboy's like, this is so crazy, it doesn't even look like this belongs here. We get a nice little Mignola panel of this oasis. I like that. I like seeing these kind of just like atmospheric shots. I remember in Bones of Giants, there were a lot of like shots of just mountains. Those didn't appeal to me as much as these do. Oh, okay. Okay. They spot some caves and they're like, wow, your eyesight is incredible, Hellboy. So apparently he has like... I got good eyesight. He's got demon eyes. I see the farthest with my demon eyes. And Cregan and his men are there too. So as they get closer, you know, they encounter this one woman, Jenny, and she's like, ah... You know, Larry, he he's gone. Like, he can't take it anymore. You know, he can't look at that again, this and that, right? So we know that it's, like, some messed up stuff that they're coming upon. And it mentions Hellboy. He doesn't like those MI5 guys being there. He feels like military have a tendency to shoot first. Cregan was a numbskull looking for trouble. Hellboy didn't want to get caught in the crossfire. And so there is a very grisly description of what they find in this oasis. Apparently... All the missing people are dead, and all their remains are, like, strewn all over the place from the treetops and everything, and um, Mignola even draws some of these panels, and that's pretty incredible. I was like, wow. You know, recently I came across um, some Hellraiser stuff that he did. I was able to track down these two issues of Hellraiser that have some Mignola stuff on there, and I was like, wow, you know, he really does, like... He can do some out there kind of gory stuff. And this is some of the goriest Hellboy Mignola yeah. stuff that we've seen. What, what, I don't know. Would you agree or what do you think? Yeah, no, this is messed up. <laughs> I listened to the audiobook and I, I, this is actually the first time I'm really flipping through the book and just seeing this. I'm just like, man, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it says gory decoration, red streamers that might have once been the viscera of human beings, half-bodies hung from trees leaking crimson ichor on the tall grass. Yikes. Yeah, so, you know, I always feel weird about doing these books as a podcast because Golden did such a great job describing all this. I feel like we're just giving you, like, the clumsy, dirty version. You know, if you really want the full experience, I recommend, you know, checking out the audiobook by Wayne Mitchell actually reading the book i hope that you're reading along with us because um we don't do the descriptions justice to christopher golden and all the great work that he's doing some of the descriptions in this book are wow and uh at one point uh you know because cregan's there for this royalty he doesn't believe that it's them now who else would it be hellboy asked i guess you can tell the queen her cousin won't be summering at buckingham palace this year dang dude burn another thing that's interesting is the team disappeared weeks ago but it looks like they were just killed hours ago and they're like how do you know that hellboy and he's like trust me he doesn't want to explain that i guess he knows some forensic science too he can tell by the way the remains look that it just happened recently it says like he looks at the stomachs and stuff like that which is wow but i do like the idea that he's got like the forensic science you know he is like a molder well, something. it's also like he's probably seen enough dead bodies. Right, you know, yeah. All that shit. Hellboy says, I don't think this massacre was meant to scare us away. I think that whoever did this wanted us to find these corpses so we would know exactly where to start looking. This is their way of shouting, hey, here we are. Come and get us. They want to be found. So they decide to check out those caves that they saw earlier. And as they're looking around, Golden writes, something moved at the edge of the lake, lumbered up from the water and shambled into the trees, headed towards them. Not just one thing, 
but several. Hellboy could see them. They're soldiers, Persian soldiers. Maybe we can get some damn answers around here, he snarled. There's some cool little Hellboy depictions in here as well. We, there's been a couple oh, yeah. over these last couple pages. Chapter 4. I do like this description here. It says... It was insanity not to simply flee and let those trained for such things deal with the monstrous men dragging themselves up the lake shore, but Anastasia kept running. The horror she had witnessed in the clearing left her numb and nauseous. The fear was nearly overwhelming, but she forced herself to ignore it. Hellboy was there, just ahead, and she had faced the unknown with him before and survived. In truth, she had been far more afraid nearly six years earlier when the Obsidian Dance were preparing her for sacrifice than she was now. Perhaps that experience had desensitized her. Her fear now was more for him than for herself. So six years ago would have been when she was with Hellboy. And I don't know what the Obsidian Dance is, but that's like a whole other mission. You know what I mean? Like that's their whole, uh, I guess that's what ends their relationship or something. Or you know what I mean? Or that's, mm-hmm. right? Possibly. Interesting. I just thought that reference was like, hmm, Maybe we should come back to that. That would be interesting. Maybe that'll be another novel. Yeah, that would be cool. So these Persian soldiers, not another step, zombie boys. Do you like zombie boys? Um, <laughs> that's pretty good. Hellboy talks to the skeletons. They say that their quarrel's not with him. We are bound to obey our master, himself the slave of Martiku. I looked that up. I couldn't really find a reference to it. That's a common name in a lot of different parts of the world. Hellboy's like, I want to know what happened to the archaeological team whose remains are decorating the trees back there. And they say they were trespassing. So there's a great action beat here. And again, Golden does an amazing job of describing this. But basically, they're these zombie Persian soldiers and they have axes and swords. One of them swings the axe at Hellboy and he dodges it. He blocks it on the right hand of Doom, and when he blocks it, the axe like shatters into a million pieces. Then he grabs the zombie and impales him on the other one's sword, and then he pulls the sword through. Golden writes, The swordsman armed burst through his comrade's back as if the entire body were made of rotten fruit. Really cool. Yeah, that that was really cool. I thought that he gets the arm and he pulls it through the other guy. Anyway, that's fun stuff. You can do that kind of fun stuff with zombies. This illustration of the the one the lead one with the axe uh, that Mignola does is pretty badass, and the axe looks killer. <laughs> yeah, really amazing. I love that we get to see what they look like, and I think that's actually what the cover is. The cover is those three ones. Getting him out in the desert, I always thought. Oh, yeah, I guess the logo's covering up the axe. Yeah. (laughs) One of them actually gets Hellboy across the back. He tore the blade from the first swordman's hand, lifted it high, and used all his strength to bring it down. He cuts off both of their heads in one, and we get a little Mignola panel. I thought that was kind of comedic right there, of the (laughs) two heads tumbling. Yeah. But then the third one stabs him all the way through with the sword, and then it, like, twists it. Pretty excruciating. And Hellboy, he looks at the MI5 guys who are just standing there. They're just staring at him. He's like, what the hell are you waiting for? He demanded, shoot him. So then they shoot that last one. But Hellboy falls to the ground. And so he's got the sword sticking out of him. And when he falls to the ground, he like gets stuck to the ground through the sword. Yeah, I thought that was pretty messed up. (laughs) Dead guys, Hellboy mumbled as unconsciousness began to claim him. There's just no talking to them. (laughs) That was good stuff. So then there's this whole next scene where Anastasia comes over, she grabs someone's canteen and starts, like, putting water all over him. 
Hellboy lay on his stomach, the sword protruding from his lower back. Its point had penetrated through his torso into the ground below. So they have to get Cregan to come over and help pull the sword out. And it says, the sword slid out, followed by a six-inch high spurt of blood. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> I think that's really comedic, too. Yeah, Hellboy's like, geez. But what's interesting is, uh, afterwards, he stands up and he stands there for a little while. And when they check on him, it's already closing up. The wound he's got, and stuff yeah, like he's that. got the healing factor. Yeah. So afterwards, they're like, "What was that?" Hellboy said, "I've never seen that before. I once saw a zombie transform into a kind of humanoid albino alligator, but I've never fought anything that disintegrated into bits of sand right in front of my eyes." Of course, I had to look for an alligator man. There is Jake the Alligator Man. This is an alleged half man, half alligator creature on display an apparently mummified condition at Marsh's Free Museum, a tourist trap located in Long Beach, Washington. Jake the Alligator Man was acquired by the Marshes for $750 in 1967 from an antique store. Half-human, half-alligator discovered in Florida swamp from Weekly World News in 1993 is from where Jake the Alligator Man is from. But he's not an albino alligator man. Okay. So anyway, what do you think of Jake the Alligator Man? You want to go see that? Yeah. <laughs> oh uh so there's another cool detail here is where hellboy's like those guys they were talking about marty coup and all that and they're like oh we just heard gibberish and so yeah that's, that's another... an interesting detail though that he can understand and he even has a little anecdote about well it doesn't surprise me because that happened uh, this other time yeah and uh it's and you even get the sense that he's been demonized no but um i mean obviously the way he looks everyone it's it shocks everyone and then this other thing happens and people yeah. are like i don't know about this fucking guy and so but it's interesting the way that he refers to it as um i kind of thought it would come in handy my understanding arcane languages if you've ever played D, there's you know all these different if you, you can understand you know uh -huh. however many different languages or whatever and some of them are various like demonic languages or like abyssal okay you know there's like you can understand like um some characters understand uh, the abyssal language or some of and some of them depending on you know what kind of creature you are you know if someone is speaking a certain language in your presence it could do some sort of psychic damage to you it's not just that you don't understand it it's like right. actively hurting you that you're hearing this kind of like the language of of mordor oh yeah yeah if you're the elf yeah. king you're like oh this sucks or if you're of legolas you're like oh don't talk in that language that's hurting me and all this yeah, stuff and yeah. so that's kind of reminded me of that very like D D tolkien kind of thing of like he can understand this shit he would be good to have on like yeah expeditions and <laughs> stuff you know he'd be good to have in your party there's this part that happened right before all of this that I, I thought was a nice little beat where Anastasia goes to collect all the weapons and Cregan's like what are you doing those are evidence and he's like evidence of what mass murder the killer's been dead for 2,000 years yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like and then she goes on to say that these are the best preserved weapons from the ancient world ever discovered and um you know, I just thought that was really cool. And she's like, you know, all of a sudden her like research scientist thing kicks back in and saying, right. you know, we got to we got to get these preserved, you know, put them in a museum. Right. <laughs> she says, you know, and she says their sacrifice shouldn't be for nothing. You know, what I mean, all these sure. people that were dead. Yeah. So. Well, also thinking of it from a like, does the BPRD have any sort of instruments that could analyze the sure. ghost particles? Right, right. I don't know. You know, something like that. You know, um, they're like magic swords or something but you know coming back to the power of understanding arcane right, languages yeah. and bones of giants the other yes. christopher golden book yeah. he could also understand 
the uh, ancient Norse language and nobody else could. Right. You know what I mean? Instead, he was hearing it. He was like in his also own. like haunted by Thor. Yeah. Or so <laughs> yeah. That's maybe part of it. But no, in here it this seems this does seem like an innate yeah. kind of he'd I feel like he'd be good to have in your party when you're a uh, dungeon crawling or yeah. whatever. Oh yeah. I do love uh how they work in their little references here. So they sure. do talk about this thing. It says um when Hellboy's talking about his understanding of languages Little kid named Eric Powell spit blood, swore at his mother, all that exorcist crap. He babbled on in what everyone else had heard as gibberish. It sounded like English to me. Do you get that reference? What are you talking about from The Exorcist? What? No, no, not of The Exorcist. Oh, The Exorcist is a reference in there. It's the movie. The name Eric Powell. Uh, Does that ring any bells? Eric Powell. What about you, Aubrey? It's ringing a bell, but I, I can't. No, I don't. What? Can't open that door. This is a fun little, like, I'm going to throw my friend in here. Eric Powell is the creator of The Goon. Okay. And right. so oh, we've sure. done the goon. Names, you know, yeah, we've done the goon Hellboy crossover. Eric Powell also did a weird tale story where young Hellboy deals with Mac the dog who's been right. mutated and all this kind of stuff. Um, that one was also done by Eric Powell. So, but he's spitting blood and swearing at his mother. That's funny. So they're gonna make him the little gibberish. kid. That's, yeah, that's you great. know what I mean. Maybe I mean, hey. maybe he was a little kid at this time too because sure. it's the eighties. You know yeah. what I mean and stuff okay. like that. So. I love stuff like That's that. Fun. I thought that was really good. Eric Powell was born in 75, so he would have been 11. Or no, I guess even younger, because I don't know whenever that anecdote... It sure. would have been before he was 11, so that all makes sense. But I do want to mention to check out Albatross Funny Books for awesome titles like The Goon, Hellbilly, Spook House, King Tank Girl, and many more. Um, and also, Eric Powell has a Kickstarter coming up with Harold Schechter. They're doing the true story of Ed Gein. It's called Did You Hear What Ed Gein Done? And so that's another project by Eric Powell. Um, I love Eric Powell, so I just thought I'd give him a shout out. And I'll go ahead and link the preview to that Kickstarter and Albatross Funny Books in the show notes for this episode. Is it Ed Gein or Gein? Uh, oh, I don't know. Ed Gein. I don't know. Uh, I'm probably saying it wrong. John I don't know find if that's out, the correct way. John will find out and then come back and re-record himself saying <laughs> the guy's name and no, put it fine. in like Mr. Black. <laughs> it's fine. So we're coming up here on the end of the chapter, and um, I really like it when the author does the thing where it's starting to heat up. The end of the chapter is a thing where it makes you go, what's the next chapter? You know who's the master of doing this is Michael Crichton. Okay. And I started reading his books when I was a little kid. Uh And like it would, he he loves to do the thing where he's like, everything's going along and everything's going along. And then all of a sudden something happened and it was scary. And you're like, and I think he's really good at that. And so that kind of reminded me of like, this is that's kind of what he's yeah. doing here. I really like that where he goes. Um, anyway, the most overwhelming question isn't how these guys got this way or, or whatever and all this other stuff. And they're like, oh yeah, well what? He's like, well, uh, according to Professor Lahiri, there were fifty thousand of these guys. And Anastasia's like, yeah. And she can kind of tell where he's going with this. He's like, okay, well, uh, where are the other forty nine thousand nine hundred ninety seven missing <laughs> Persian soldiers? And and Cregan's like, uh, no. And so. This is kind yeah. of everyone sort of goes, oh shit! Yeah, yeah, we've missed it. Yeah. There's only three of this them. This is bad. Yeah, and if only three of them can do this, then if there's fucking fifty thousand of these guys, right. then what the shit? And so, and the book's called The Lost Army. Yeah, and so, so yeah, I like yeah. that it ends on this. Oh, and you're like, oh shit, we gotta get to the next chapter. So it's starting to heat up. So I like that you had us read one through four because it, it just very much feels like we're getting the book started yeah yeah all right our yeah. Footing. yeah and so i'm very much now i'm like okay now i'm ready to yeah, like yeah. find out what happens i'm excited to get into it and so the re- you know most of this like 
I feel like I kind of skimmed a lot of it, yeah, yeah. And, um, but now we're getting into the meat of it and the mystery, right? The invest, the actual investigation part where like we're going to find out some stuff about like ancient Egypt might come up yeah, in there and yeah. stuff, so that'll be fun. Yeah, good stuff. I'm excited. What do you think about the book so far, Aubrey? I've been enjoying it. I mean, I like the way that it started off in the prologue, and then it just kind of the beats that moved along, and then. But um, I do think it's a good. You did pick a good stopping point too, because uh, you know it kind of gets us to like into into the oasis, and we confront the three uh, soldiers. Um, and so it's like, uh oh, what's going to happen next? We yeah, set up. Yeah. We've set up the the, you know, the beats the, of the story. Well, we set up the first problem. Yeah, really well, and so that's we're kind of getting into it there. We've established like what the story's about, so yeah. that's good stuff. And it's not me; it's Mark Tweedo. Mark Tweedo put together the reading order, and he put together the stopping points and all that. So shout out to Mark Tweedo for Twido. all the work that he does to help support us on the show, man. All right, so that's another actual book club episode in the can. I'm really enjoying actual this. Book club. Yeah, it's really good. And so I hope that you guys are reading along. Make sure to check out the book. I'm excited to hear all your feedback. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody, we're doing another book. We want to hear what you thought about it. Have you read the book yourself? Send us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Podbean website, our Facebook About section, and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gotahorn for the uh, theme music. Thank you, Paul. Yes. Thank you, Mark, for uh, putting that reading order together for us. Thank you so much. Thank you, John, for being the editing wizard you are. Thank you, Danielle, for ah. just being a wonderful, awesome person ah. that you are. You <laughs> hey, Aubrey, you're awesome. You're, you're awesome, dude. We you love are you. The we one miss who you. Awesome. Oh, thank you. I, it'd be weird if I thank myself and thank me <laughs> for me. <laughs> no. Uh, you can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we're continuing to read Hellboy the Lost Armies, chapters 5 through 9. So you know what to do. Reopen your audiobook app or open the book again. Uh, I don't know if it's on the Kindle or not, but uh, if it is, do that and uh, join us <laughs> next week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying... What do you mean it can't be killed by fire? <laughs> yes.